Howdy, you're listening to the Think Brasses podcast. We host conversations with locals, politicians, and policy experts to help families thrive in Brasses County, Texas. So when you're thinking about how to make your community better, just remember, think local, think Brasses. joined with Bobby Gutierrez, who is running for the City of Bryan um, Mayor. So thank you so much for coming on Think Brazos. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So we wanted to talk about a couple of things going on with the city, but first off, I wanted to hear a little bit about your background and also why you're running. Sure. I'm a uh, lifetime member, a lifetime uh, citizen of Bryan. I came here. My dad was in the Air Force. Uh, when he okay. left the Air Force, he went to got hired at NASA, worked on the Apollo projects at NASA. Oh. Cool. And apparently, when I was a kid, you know, I kept getting pneumonia. I couldn't live oh. in that. The doctor told us I got pneumonia in one lung, and then, you know, we got, I guess I was got well. And then, I guess two months later, I got it in both lungs and had to be in a, a tent, literally a tent, for about a month while I got oh. recuperated. And the doctor said I really couldn't take the, the smog in Houston mm-hmm. in that area. Uh, so... I think that's why my dad probably was always upset with me a little bit because it was a dream to work for NASA. And then uh, he ended up taking a position at Texas A&M. Uh, dad was a brilliant man, uh, engineer. Uh, went for biomedical engineering and oceanography, started a different company. And then we ended up uh, starting House of Tires. And, and actually, this is our 50th year in business here. So we started that. We had nine tire stores at one time. We're the second largest independent tire mm-hmm. dealer in Texas. And I had a brother who passed away from leukemia. Oh, and that was during the time where we didn't have all the cell phones and computers and right. stuff like that. So my dad was gone all the time, mm. one store to the other, and just decided at that point it was going to sell everything and just stay here because this was our gotcha. home. And we just kind of concentrated on this one here. And this is our 50th year in business. We bought it from my parents. Uh, Becky and I bought it from my parents about 22, 23 years ago. And uh, we'll just continue on. But so that's he went from – your dad went from NASA – or wanting to do that to tires. You know, How did that he, happen? He did that as an investment. He okay. kind of did that on the side. He worked for oceanography department, biomedical engineer, and he you know published. He gotcha. uh, invented. He's different things through Texas A&M and at the research center back where we call the old annex, which mm-hmm. is now Relis campus, which full circle now I'm on the Relis board. So it's yeah, one of right. those things for the advisory board. But it's uh, it was a really neat deal growing up as a kid, but we had gas stations and it was us partnered with the brooches at that time, the okay. Shell gas station that we were operating all those. And that was with the very first, when the only credit cards were available were gas cards. Mm-hmm. And that was before you had the diners club and you had gas cards. Gotcha. And, Dad kind of figured out that people needed tires when they would come in here, and it really ended up we you know we have a ranching operation down in South Texas. Mm-hmm. Where I'm the eighth generation. There's ten generations of we've been ranching down in South okay. Texas. My dad had bought four new tires to put on our station wagon at the time, back in 19. I guess that was probably 70 or 71, and um, driving down there, brand new tires had blowouts on all four of them. Just Whoa. they were back in the old polyester days and, right. and everything. We were stranded on the side of the road, and there was, I guess, five kids at that mm-hmm. time on the side of the road with a station wagon, and, and they wouldn't warranty the tires. So dad, typical my dad, a little bit of temper sometimes, he decided that he was going to go in the tire business and find <laughs> better tires, and we would started doing those at the, at the service stations. And putting those on they could put those on the gas cards mm-hmm. so it was the first time really people could actually finance those things oh, and put okay. them and pay those things out on the gas card and it turned out to be 
what we were making the most money at. And right. we started moving that into the tire business and it just became tire business. So wow. it's kind of a full circle. But it's to my my history, of course I I grew up here in town, went to Saw Ross and then went through the whole thing. We were busting back then, so I went through Carver Kemp and then, mm-hmm. you know, on to Anson Jones and, you know, the whole works into SFA and then to Bryan High School. I graduated class of eighty two in high school. Okay. Uh, went on to A and M that went down to South Texas to Texas A and I. I changed majors uh, in the middle of it from, you know, architecture into animal science. Okay. And my dad basically said, I'm not paying for it. You're not going to make any money ranching or anything mm-hmm. like that. So if you want to do that, go to the ranch in South Texas and uh, think about it. Take a semester off. Think about what you're going to do. Stay with your yeah, grandparents. And then uh, if you if this is what truly you're going to do, you can do that. But I'm, I'm not paying for it. <laughs> and so I went down to South Texas and spent you know, I guess a semester and a half to basically a year with my grandparents down there on the ranch. And I never wanted to come back. Yeah. I mean, I thought this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. This is in our blood, you know, Uh the eighth generation doing this. Our family has had that. It's an old Spanish land grant still there today. Oh, nice. Uh, We still operate it as, as a whole divisions, Mm -hmm. but it's in the whole. And I decided I would take classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays at Texas A&I, which is now Texas A&M Kingsville, so I could be oh, with yeah. my grandparents on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and then I would spend three days at school, and I could help my grandparents on the ranch mm-hmm. and just do all that kind of stuff. Uh, did that. Meanwhile, my parents weren't paying for it when I was going there, so I had to find jobs, right. and I would show up every morning at a place called Paul's Coffee Shop in Kingsville, Texas, and that's where all the ranchers and farmers went. Uh-oh. And just I'd pick up day jobs, whether it's working cattle, fixing mm-hmm. fences, mowing yards, cleaning cars, pulling weeds, everything. Whatever wow. it is, I just you just do it to to survive. And pretty soon I started getting hired on by a couple of different different regulars who were you know some ranchers mm-hmm. there and had different things, and which turned into a guy who had V and K Cattle Company, Paul Weissel and Fred Ketchum, but he also had a uh, he also had a hunting operation that he private guide. Okay. So I became a private guide, you know, custom guide out there for deer hunting and for quail hunting and for wow. fishing and everything else, and which was really exciting, a lot of fun. Sounds like a fun job. It was an absolutely <laughs> great job. And, you know, we dealt with, you know, titans of the world, basically. Mm-hmm. People would come down to the King Ranch, and we had the kings, we had queens, we had billionaires, we had millionaires, we had right. business people and everything else. And we would go out every weekend to different different ranches that we were contracted to go to, and, and one of them was Oscar Wyatt. Mm-hmm. Oscar White had coastal gas, coastal states, yeah. and we did. He would always ask for me because I was from Brian. He grew up in Navasota. He was a big gotcha. Aggie, and so he would, you know, we'd always give me a hard time. Well, then he then he hired me. Oh wow! And I was I was living at that time on the Seelixson Ranch, which bordered the King Ranch, and ran mm-hmm. running that ranch and operation. Um, Oscar hired me to go work for him. Mister White asked me to go over there, and and that was kind of the start of everything at that point. Wow. And, uh, I ran a camp down in Mexico. I ran a camp over in Colorado, Utah, mm-hmm. uh, for elk hunting, for deer hunting, just kind of yeah. any kind of hunting, fishing, anything we were, I would do. Uh, Lee Bass married Ramona Seelixson that I'd worked for, lived on the Seelixson Ranch. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called me up one day and he you know, said, I just bought this 70, 65,000 acre ranch. We want you to come work for us. Wow. And he we toured the ranch and we go do all this stuff. And so... You know, he gave me the whole spiel. I'm a, and and you know, people know Oscar. Oscar was probably the most fun I've ever worked for. He mm-hmm. was he was a it was like having a buddy, an uncle, mm-hmm. and you worked for. You never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. I could write a book on just Oscar White. It was yeah. it was truly fun. But I'll never remember, forget the closing statements when Lee Bass was offering me this job. He said, "You know, 
Oscar at that time was 65. I'm, I'm, you know, 35 and I'm this, I'm that, all this stuff like that, Bobby, you know, so there's a lot of controversy mm-hmm. around Mr. White and there's, you'll never hear anything bad about me and my brothers, the Bass brothers. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of different stuff about this, that, and the other. He goes, well, let me just tell you, if you leave Oscar and come to us and forget everything that he ever taught you, we can probably save you. <laughs> and that was his closing statement. And I went home and thinking about that and thinking about my future and everything else. And, and I took the job and went to work for the Basses, and it was phenomenal, too. It was a, it was a really good. We were building a ranch from the ground up. Sure. Uh, this ranch, was had, it was the old Lips Ranch. Mm-hmm. And it was probably, as a bird flies, about 25 miles from our ranch. So it was really convenient. I could go on the weekends and spend time with my grandparents, help over there, come back and forth. But uh, it was a great life, and it was a whole different type of deal. We had a management group. I was what we call, I guess, there's a general manager. I was the guy running it right underneath that, so the manager, and ran different organizations, different parts of that ranch and op- operation. We had rhinos. We had all kinds of stuff wow. like that, so I was I kind of <laughs> headed up all that part of it. Um, and then from there, I, you know, had some good fortune and doing different things, investing and buying different things and came back over here at 30 years old, bought the, uh, bought the, my parents' operation, about half of it. And then I continued to buy the rest of it as we, as we moved through. And, mm-hmm. and here I am. Wow. And that's kind of the history of where I am and where I've, where I've been and how I got involved. You know, I just wanted to redo the tire store oh. and wanted to rebuild it, redo everything there. And I had worked on literally hundred million dollar projects, mm-hmm. but had roadblocks just trying to do, an expansion on our place and completely redo it to the point that I said, I, I want to get involved at some point because I can't be the only one that's not being heard and mm-hmm. can't get anything done. I just want to open up those avenues for people who can. And here I am today. Never thought that I would uh, be running for mayor, but, mm-hmm. but here we are, here we are. There's going to be a gap in leadership and I know how to build consensus. Yeah. I know how to get along with people. I know how to make things happen. I would always tell everybody, just wind me up and set me loose. But just be there because nobody likes stuff to burn down. But a lot of times things have to burn down to make it better. Sure. And uh, I'm all about getting things done. Gotcha. Without drama going into the public and, you know, hearing, you know, all that stuff is just you got to be able to get along with people. So what would your if you could uh, I don't want you to list every single priority you might have. But if you have a couple for the next few years, should you be elected mayor? What would those be for Brian? Well, obviously, uh, economic development is one of my passions. You know, sure. been on the Brian Business Council, which I, I love that organization. Uh, the RVP or BVDC, which is the Brazos Valley Economic mm-hmm. Development Corporation, used to be the former Research Valley Partnership. Uh, those are those are great things. Bringing new business, new new companies in, creating jobs, creating higher paying jobs, creating place to live. You know, that we can sustain our biggest export that we have right now. The biggest export we have in Brian College Station, the County of Brazos is talent. Okay. So we graduate these these you know young men and oh, women every year and that talent goes away somewhere because either quality of life, place sure. or having an actual job to come to. I think with the research facility we have Texas A&M being on that Relish board as an advisory partner on that Relish board and what we're going to do over there mm-hmm. is is amazing. I mean we're going to be you know, bringing in all this types of different types of research, whether it's, you know, defense, whether it's a bi-corridor, whatever that is, 
we have an opportunity to capture those people and capture those businesses to stay here, not only doing the research, but doing the implementation of the manufacturing, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Uh, we have to set up infrastructure that will capitalize on keeping those people here. It's a younger generation. I, you know, I've been, I was on PNZ for almost 12 years. Right. You know, I was the chairman for, I don't know, six, seven, however many years I was a chairman of that thing. Uh, leadership part of it is, you know, students, it's a double-edged sword. You know, right. you, you've got to have the students because that's what makes our city, our cities and the county go, go round and right. round and round. So, but nobody wants them in their backyard, you know? So where do you put them as what? Well, and Brian, we, we actually enjoy and we love the students. We mm-hmm. love having them over here. Uh, we don't enjoy the traffic. This cost station experience, right. some of that stuff over there, but, but all that stuff is taken care of through proper planning. And if we can keep those kids here, if we can keep those young adults as they transition from graduate to implementation of whatever they're doing because we have a brain trust you know right next door to us right that is greater than just about anywhere on on you know on the earth really mm-hmm. truly uh it's a tier one university that is built on innovation and being you know being mentors with some of these different companies you get to see some really cool things some that are going to work some that you don't know if they're going to work or not but you never know which ones are going to take off and we have to have that infrastructure we have to have that stuff ready for them to be able to do it and uh the question is what i want to do mm-hmm. i want to make sure that we have that i want to make sure that we have those incubators ready when we have those positions of spots ready if you know right kind of like they you know they say if you build it they'll come uh we need to have shovel ready dirt we need to have shovel ready places we need to have buildings that are ready to go because you know a guy called me the other day and he's thirty thousand square feet mm-hmm. right now well where do we have this ready thirty thousand square feet yeah Right now with Doc High, well, you're, I'm going through my head. You wouldn't believe the calls that I get every day for different things. I enjoy that people that I, if I can help somebody get to somewhere, that's what I do. I'll pass them off to somebody else. What do you have for this? What do you have for that? And I haven't even moved that one along yet, but that was, you know, talk to me on Saturday. Uh, highly successful businessman that moved into town and he needs something right now. He's sold his other company, moved over here from Austin mm-hmm. and, doesn't it's not real connected well connected and he called me up and said i need this so we just need to have things that are ready to go we were working you know obviously we have downtown we started that thing yeah. back in 2000 or 1998 when all that stuff were you went. involved at the beginning it was not involved in the beginning you know uh you had some pioneers that are involved mm-hmm. now anything that we do is always controversial when you spend money mm-hmm. 10 years from the day it starts people are still skeptical on what they're what it's going to be, what it's going to look like. Here yeah. we are 20 years later, and look what we have. And right. Everybody loves it. But those pioneers, those people who put in the hard work and accepted the responsibility of all the naysayers and all the people who were telling us, you're throwing money away, you're doing all this stuff like that, those are the guys that we really need to be reaching out and telling them thank you because they did not get thanked for probably 10 years. And they were probably told, you know, why did you do this? Why did mm-hmm. you spend these dollars on this thing here? We need to make sure that we're able to continue that vision. Yeah. Uh, we had so much momentum. I mean, so much momentum, 2018, 2019. And probably one of my biggest regrets, I guess, is watching Mayor Nelson, who had these different dreams. And, and the difference of Mayor Nelson and, and maybe some of the previous people is like that that vision was a 50-year, 100-year vision okay. that he knew he'd never see the end of it. Right. But he could paint this picture of what this thing should look like mm-hmm. or how it should look, or at least his vision of what it should look like. And how do we get there? Mm-hmm. One step at a time, not just 
tomorrow. Right. What do we do tomorrow that'll make everybody feel good tomorrow? Because that's not sustainable and that's not long lasting. Right. But what can we do that makes a major change that's going to last for 20, 50, 100 years? And how do we get that going? It was going. Yeah. And everybody had bought into this vision and everybody was on track. And then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And all these great ideas that we had and these people who were ready to invest in these great things that were going to happen on the middle and the north end of downtown Brown, these great projects just stopped. Mm. I mean, everything just stopped. Yeah. And even as we're, as we're just now, everybody's just now feeling comfortable about getting out. I mean, otherwise right. we'd be sitting six feet apart right yeah. now and all this stuff like that. <laughs> and with the mask and all this, I mean, it's just, it was, it was a different time in life. And I'm a very social person. Probably the hardest time I've ever been through is, you know, 2020 really when uh you know i just wanted to see people i i enjoy i enjoy talking i could talk mm-hmm. to a tree as you can see here <laughs> it, it is just uh it's just in my spirit and mm-hmm. that's and that's who i am i like to i like to get things done sure. and i also like to have that social part of it i, I need those interactions those human touches and and it gives you an right. idea of where where we are as a people where we are as a city or as a community yeah so I want to continue that. I want to continue on the whole South Co- College, you know, redevelopment plan. I think Midtown, the whole Midtown area from downtown to University mm-hmm. Drive. Yeah. You know, the students, they just, they, you still have these people. If you go to Brian, you're going to get killed, you know, and you still have that mentality. But now as you go, like, especially this past first Friday, I don't know if you guys were there or not. No, we were there maybe the day before it and was, it was already. Yeah. So this first Friday was like a Texas Reds. It was unbelievable. It was it so, was that full? I mean, it was, you know, I'm, I'm walking down. We started at the very end by running because they were doing this exhibition of this boxing match with Brian Boxer, which is another oh, phenomenal organization. So I went over there, asked me to come over and, and just talk and introduce mm-hmm. myself. So I did that. And then we walked from Ronin mm-hmm. to uh, where between RX Pizza and Mr. G's yeah. Pizza, they were doing, uh, Jeremy was doing that artwork for the mm-hmm. We're Fine and 979 deal, which was running right. they were in a partnership with Amazon on that. And then I went over to Third on Main to go have dinner and met a bunch of people out there. And I'm just sitting there watching, you know, outside sitting. It was a beautiful night, too. Yeah. But it was packed until way, way after dark. And wow. people just didn't go home. That's they were awesome. just, you know, I think I went home probably 1030 and it was still packed, which normally That's eight great. nine o'clock is pretty much done. But right. I talked with uh, Susan from Mr. G said she had mm-hmm. the biggest day she's ever had. Wow. You know, I talked to her because I had some uh, issues with the electricity on a previous first Friday and we were trying to walk through them and get through, you know, get through those issues. Mm-hmm. I think Debbie had the same, some electrical issues over on their place. And we're, okay. we're trying to figure out what was going on at that time, if it's a load or, or what, but these are costly issues to these businesses. And, you know, I would encourage you, you know, whenever there's a problem and, and we're still coming through this thing, especially in the hospitality right. and service industry, just be patient with these people mm. because nobody can find employees. I mean, right. there is no employees. It's the service we got in 2019 is not the same kind of service we get in 2022. Right. And we just have to be okay with that at this point. We shouldn't be, but we have to be because those those owners, those operators are doing everything they can right. with what they have. And they are working 10 times harder than they ever have to work in their life. Yeah, I agree. Um, I did want to ask you a question that I've asked your opponents as well on this podcast. And it has to do generally with affordability, but you know, we're part of Habitat for Humanity and the families that we serve. It seems to be over the years that it's been harder and harder to afford a home, but even to think about living in Bryan. You know, it used to be, I can't afford College Station, so I'm going to live in Bryan. Um, We're starting to even see it's, I can't afford to live in Bryan even. 
I'm going to live out in the County or something like that. Um, do you feel like this day and age, 2022, there's still a place for low income families in Bryan? Well, that's more of a valuation deal, which we have no control sure. over, you know, the valuation and, and we, and, you know, you're blessed to live in Texas and you're cursed to live in Texas because of the valuation. You have people flocking from all over the country to mm-hmm. come over here to be here because we do have some great places and we're not suffering the same thing that the rest of the country is suffering. Excuse me. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Thank you. Anyway, there, as far as affordability, you know, I don't know. It's you know that's a market driven kind of thing. It's market driven, sure. so that's we that's kind of out of our control. I will tell you, we've we've done some, we've taken some steps. Uh, as we go back to leadership, uh, I've had to do some pretty hard things in PNZ that we were tasked to get done. I look at planning and zoning as the offensive line for the council. Vet those things out. You know, talk them out. You know, one of the things I'm very very adamant about mm-hmm. is being the chair on that stuff. I don't. And I would tell all of my commissioners as they came in when they were brand new, I said, look, you're, you're coming into a, everybody wants to be on plan and zoning. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants, that's like the, you know, the best of the best to get there. Right. Until you get there. <laughs> and when you get there, you're standing on the dais, you're sitting on the dais and you look out, but you got to realize that everybody there, everybody there is against whatever is coming up. Sure. They're not, they're happy. They're, they're mad and they're expecting you to rule in their favor. And what I tell the guys, I said, look, just all I care about, I don't care how you vote, but I do care that you're prepared. Yeah. And you need to have read. You need to have asked. You need to have talked to staff. And there's always two sides. There's a staff side. There's the applicant side. And then there's the people side. So there's really three sides. And everybody's affected. And you're dealing with their number one investment, which is their home. Right. You know, this is their number one investment. So you've got to be able to look them in the eye and say, we you know, we, we absolutely sympathize with what you're going through and empathize with what we're going through. But this is better for the city, the citizens and everything else here. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect you. But in the long term, it's good for whatever, whatever the vision is. Or you're able to tell them yes, or you're able to side with them, whichever that deal is. But you got to understand that you're going to have 60, 100, 200 people there mm-hmm. and they're mad at you. And they're all got, they're literally giving you these looks. And you're up there looking at everybody there, and there's not a happy person there, not one. I said, but what you got to understand is you got 90,000 people sitting at home expecting you to do the right thing. So you got to take those into consideration, too, not just the squeaky wheel. And you've got to be able to say that, and you've got to be able to be able to be okay with saying, okay, I'm sorry, but we're we're going to do it this way because this is the way it should be done or whatever. So. Uh, we have the same thing right now. You know, one of the things that I, I pride myself on is, is I research everything. Mm-hmm. I come prepared and I, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to go just start talking to talk right. and I'm not going to blow with the wind. I'm not going to go whichever way. Uh, in, in our case, we're all running for office. I'm not going to go with wherever the votes are going to go. I'm going to go what I think is the best thing to do for the people, the citizens in our city. Uh, we represent all of those. Right. And, you know, the council is, is kind of like the board of directors. We set the direction of the city. Right. The staff runs the city, and but we set the direction based upon what citizen input we have. And it's, now we have to balance the needs of the city and be able to pay for those things. Right. But is when it when it goes back to affordable housing, one of the things we did was uh, the MU one designation. Mm-hmm. We were pulling the mobile homes out of these right. out of residential areas. It was very very tough, mm-hmm. and it was very passionate because you're dealing with people's homes. So one of good things that came out of out of that was okay so we can take if you own your lot 
you know, we can take that lot as part of, we're not going to take the lot. We can credit that lot as part of the valuation, but we got to figure out how we get these people into generational wealth. Mm -hmm. Because when you're dealing with the depreciating asset of a mobile home, and there is no upside to that. The only thing that appreciates has been the property. Property values appreciate. Well, it was worth 5000 last year. Now it's worth 8000 But look at the actual structure. It's worth zero. Your property values have gone up because your lot, your dirt has gone up. Right. So we could figure out a way to incentivize pulling that out. They got a $10,000 credit for this. I still have yet to see. I think this is a great opportunity for people to get into something. And you have some big lots over there. Yeah. And then I was still trying to figure out, I'm on the first financial bank board, mm -hmm. and I've tasked them to figure out how do we do this? How do we finance these people? Because at some point, it's not about the affordability, it's about no. the credit. So now we got to fix the credit, we got to get this, but they have an asset of the property. Mm -hmm. And if we can get the right builder to come in here, whether it be Habitat or anybody else to partner with these guys yeah. for infill development. And if you're moving out of a 800 square foot mm -hmm. house in, in so I, when I grew up, you know, we lived in a little wood frame house on Meadow mm -hmm. Lane. I grew up over there. Then we moved to the Oaks, and we're the picture of affordable housing because we could only get what we could afford, right? Which is what I've lived even to today. And if you're coming out of an 800 square foot mobile home, well, then why don't you just build an 800 square foot wood frame house that's going to appreciate? But let's do it smart. Mm -hmm. So I've tasked our guys to come up with deals where okay, you have 800 square foot house exactly basically the same thing that you're moving from yeah. to an appreciating asset. But let's pre-do this house that you can add on another bedroom and bathroom and add on a living room and add on a garage because the picture of affordable housing shouldn't be three bedroom, two and a half bath with two car garage. That's yeah. not affordable for people. It's not realistic. So now you're subsidizing houses. So there's mm -hmm. a difference between subsidized and affordable. So if you can do that affordable in two years, we know what our valuations have done just last year, right. the year before. Like and the 20%. Year before. So 20% valuation increase in that. Mm -hmm. Think about adding on a bedroom and a bathroom for that 20%. Take some equity out of that house. Mm -hmm. Add that thing on. Yeah. And within five, six, seven, eight years, you can have that three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath, two-car garage, three-car garage, outdoor kitchen, whatever you want. And you're building equity in your place. And it's appreciating. Are you talking like um, pre-approved small home plans or something absolutely. like that? Is that what you're Abs absolutely. proposing? We're, we're still trying to figure how this thing goes. And I would see where Habitat would play a big part because this is infill yeah. development where I think is exactly where it should be. Mm -hmm. But we need to find those neighborhoods that are speckled with five mm -hmm. or six or seven you know, mobile homes within mm -hmm. that neighborhood that really don't fit in that neighborhood. And would and you're going to help these people. Now, at this point, they can get the credit from the city for the 10000 to pull it out, or they mm -hmm. can sell it. And we could help them. And some of these lots are bigger. So now you're talking about you can have son, daughter yeah. split, a, split a lot and do two houses there. So you're getting some great values. It's just about getting people to trust mm -hmm. you because whenever they say, hey, we're going to help you. We're the government. Right. Well, you know, but I'm telling you, you have Bobby Gutierrez going, we're going to help you. And I will do everything I can to make sure that we do it where it will never take advantage, even to the point if we can't get it through the public sector through the banking operations mm -hmm. you know you have people who have rental houses you have people who have right. this that they have to maintain those things and those are costs of doing business but i could see where i could call some people and say look you have this would you finance this house for this person would you finance this thing here with the understanding that if it ever comes to the point where it gets to foreclosure we're going to have to have some serious talks because this is never what this should be about right. it should be about getting these people leg up Get them, get them into something else, and and help them build. Yeah. Feel good, 
do good with whatever whatever you've accumulated. Feel good with it. Be, participate in that process because I think by law you can do one, two, or three of them. Then you have to be have a mortgage company. I, mean, I know you can do one, two, and three. Maybe, oh yeah, maybe four or five and do the finance. So you then you have to set up for the mortgage license. Right. But you know, with interest rates that are good because on these mobile homes are paying fifteen, sixteen, seventeen percent interest, mm-hmm. and well, now interest rates are going up and going up. But when we were talking about this, you get a home mortgage for three, four percent. And, you know, you could do private equity and still eight percent, 10 percent. Right. And give them that much. Plus, it's escalating in valuations, 20 percent, like we said last mm-hmm. year. So they're still ahead of it. But we keep burying, burying them mm-hmm. into these, you know, high interest rate deals. And you never get ahead. Plus, it's depreciating assets. So yeah. I, I think that. I know we've talked from uh, Habitat. We want to make sure that we, there's always options. I would make, I would want to make sure that we're taking care of our people here locally. Sure. That, you know, we're not importing other people into the area to do a Habitat home. We make sure that we have general, because we have our own poor that we're dealing with. And we have our people who need these these options. Uh, y'all do a phenomenal job. You know, I think when you uh, when you import, you're just adding to it and you're taking away from somebody who has already paid into the system and paid into our community and everything else. I would really like it to be here mm-hmm. uh, because we have plenty. Gotcha. So beyond that, we've talked about affordability. We've talked about your background. But is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that you add today before we wrap it up? I guess if you look at my uh, history of service, the boards that I've been on, the the leaders – one of the thing about being on the board, or one of the thing about being asked to be on a board, is is I've, I've learned is you know I've, there's good skill sets you have and there's bad skills. So you get you've got to con- continually try to improve on what what you think is your bad skill sets and then hone your good skill sets. Uh, I know how to build consensus. I know mm-hmm. how to take. We all want the same thing. Literally, we all want the same. It doesn't matter if you're talking about party politics, if you're talking right. about people, if you're talking about community. Everybody wants the same thing. You know, we have 2% fighting on this and 2% fighting over here, and we just bat this thing. If you look at national politics, it just it bats across right. the bottom and nobody gets anything done. What I've always been able to do is, look, let's, let's take all the conversation because everybody's conversation is good. Everybody's input is good. I don't ever want to be the smartest guy in the room. If, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we're in the wrong room. <laughs> I want to be able to learn from everywhere I have. Now, I'll come in with my ideas, right. and then people have their other ideas. But let's figure out where we do agree. And let's move it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, because we can't agree if that's going to keep us at the bottom, we're all going to stay at the bottom. Let's just figure out how we get to it in a calm, you know, it doesn't have to be a fight for everything. Mm-hmm. It just has to be, look, I don't agree with that. You don't agree with this. But we do agree with this. Can we just get this part done? Right. Can we get this done? Can we get this done? Because pretty soon you're coming closer and it gets back to the same thing. We all want the same thing. We want our ability to have our life, our freedoms. We want to be able to succeed. We want to live in a community that is beautiful. We want to live in a community that our kids and our grandkids and will be proud of. We want to, you know, my granddad taught us one thing. It's leave it better than you found it. Right. That's my motto, and it will always be my motto. It's a little different for me and my wife, Becky, because we we didn't have kids. We weren't mm-hmm. able to have kids. And, and so this community is kind of my kid. And I don't know what I've done to deserve the life that I have. Uh, you know, you know, I've say I'm blessed. My mom, I say I'm lucky. My mom says, "No, you're blessed." And have another guy says, "No, you've worked yourself lucky. You've worked yourself blessed." And we do. We work very hard. We're at that part of our life now that it's it's not about the money. It's not about accumulating things. It's, it's literally about what's that legacy. Right. I think we have enough to get to the end. If I don't, I know how to raise money. 
So hopefully we'll have a benefit from me at the end, and some somebody will come and and do. But I I think we're going to be fine. But we do want to leave it. We want to leave it better, and want to make it for the next generation, for your kids, for the next generation. You know, my nieces, my nephews. I'm I'm Uncle Bob to like half the town. So and and I love that. And, and you know, like I said, it's a social thing, and right. I enjoy people. I enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoy being able to facilitate whatever they need to help. People stop by the tire shop all the time. It's like, I need this, this, and this. Well, I don't know anything about that, but I can direct you to somebody who might and just right. tell them I sent you there. And it's part of our service to the community. So how can people get in touch with you or learn more about you or um, get in touch with your campaign? Well, I guess the main thing in the campaign is uh, is our campaign, our website mm-hmm. is uh, Okay. Uh, I would encourage everybody to look at my endorsement page and see the people who are backing me. And if they know somebody on there, that they trust, call them mm-hmm. and ask them to speak about who I am, my character, who I am. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my name. I'm proud of what I've done in the community. I look forward to doing more. Uh, I do know how to bring leadership and do research. I don't come unprepared. I come prepared for whatever it is. And, and also, I also accept that I'm not going to make everybody happy. Right. Not everybody's going to agree with me at every time. And, and, and I'm okay with that, provided that I know that I'm doing the right thing for the majority of the people and what I think is the vision of Brian and, and the years to come. All right. Well, Mr. Gutierrez, uh, again, this has been Bobby Gutierrez running for the city of Brian Mayer. Um, thank you so much again for coming on Think Razzis. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. The Think Brasses podcast is brought to you by Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. Our mission is a community where everyone can afford a home they're proud of. Habitat is a 501c3 charitable organization, so we do not make political endorsements. If you'd like to support our work in the community, you can make a tax-deductible donation online at habitatbcs.org. The Think Brasses podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts and on our website at thinkbrasses.org. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd prefer to watch videos of our conversations. Thanks for listening, and just remember, think local, think brass.